Michael O'Sullivan, you are the director of Spire, the Spirituality Institute here in Ireland and based in Milton Park, twinned with Waterford Institute of Technology. You were invited just this week to give a talk in Durham University in the Theology and Religion Department. What were you talking about? I was talking about authentic interiority and the study of spirituality. I suppose an issue in the universities is that spirituality is considered to be kind of engaging with the subjective, uh, with feelings, the personal and all that. And then for academic, you know, for university institutions and that, uh, this can be a problem because there's such a big emphasis on objectivity. How can you study then a subject that's kind of got so much to do with subjectivity in an objective way? So I was really trying to propose a methodology, I suppose, for the study of spirituality that would meet these kinds of demands of the um, of, of the academy and of universities. And I was trying to say that authentic subjectivity and objectivity are correlative. In other words, that the problem isn't subjectivity. The problem is the form of subjectivity you bring. And there is such a thing as a subjectivity that can correlate with objectivity. So explain to me that type of subjectivity. I know you detailed the different stages that it involves that I think people listening would be very familiar with and they think of their own selves and how they operate in the world. Yeah, I I think it's important for people to kind of come into themselves in this space that they uh, occupy in their lives, but mainly don't always advert to. And if they do, they will find that the structure of human knowing and choosing uh, consists of an experiencing, understanding, judging and deciding um, components. And uh, the authentic experiencing then is where you're experiencing in such a way that you're attentive to all the relevant data that are there to be noticed and adverted to and attended to. And then when you do, questions spontaneously arise about the data you've taken in as to what does it mean. And so then at that stage, that question shows you've moved on in your subjectivity to what we will call the level of understanding. And that has to do with raising all the relevant questions about what you've noticed and attended to. And then, though, uh, understanding brings up different possible interpretations of what you've um, considered. But how are you to know which interpretation is correct? So the answer to that question, which again spontaneously arises, pushes you on to a further level to do what what we call judging, because uh, you have to try and judge between different possible interpretations. And that means going back to the data, going back to your questions, seeing have you overlooked things, trying to see, you know, how to come down in one way or another on, on, on different possible ways of seeing things. Uh, and then, of course, once you come to a level of knowledge, which you only reach in judgment, because up to that all you have is possible interpretation plausible possibilities for things um, but at the level of judgment you're trying to reach really what is so what is the case what is true or most probably true at least and then once you've reached that state spontaneously the dynamism for authenticity in your subjectivity pushes you on to say now that i know this what am i going to do about it so the whole thrust is towards decision making and action and implementation So the dynamism for authenticity in human subjectivity doesn't stop with, you know, just kind of contemplative knowledge or something. It seeks uh, action in the world, moves you on to decision-making, implementation and so on. Um, So spirituality understood really in this way that what's really going on is the human spirit is constituted in this way. It has this dynamism. It goes through these different stages. And what it's heading towards is... Um, action that can be transformative of lived experience. 
Now, I want to talk to you about that movement into action and that objectivity in a moment. First, you did give concrete example in your paper. Can you mm. tell us about that example? I did. Well, I, st- I, I gave them the example, for example, of sitting in the park and just, uh, they're reading a book or something. And it's a nice, quiet day and they're having maybe a time out or whatever. Or maybe they're reading their paper that they're going to give in the university or whatever. <laughs> and uh, the next thing is they hear a cry for help. And, you know, what do they do? They, they just ignore this cry or do they say, my God, like there might be somebody in trouble. Do I need to do something? Um, so first of all, there is taking in the cry, which is at the level of experiencing. And then there is the question, can I ignore this or is this something serious? Should I be attending to this? Should I be doing something about it? So they, they have to make an interpretation of what the cry means. There are different possible ways. It might be just, for example, people having a drama group out and it's nothing really then to worry about. Or it might be somebody in trouble. So these are two possible interpretations, let's say, at the level of understanding uh, of mm-hmm. the cry that they've experienced and heard. So in order to settle which one is correct, they have to reach, push on to judgment and try to see then what way will they be able to know which one is correct. So they might get up and go up and see and see, can they see what's happening somewhere? Uh, and then they can make a judgment because they have more data now and they can answer their questions better and they can come to a conclusion about what the thing has meant. And then having come to this knowledge about the situation, let's say it's somebody in trouble, they spontaneously find, do the people do, do, do they not? That's the question arises, what am I going to do about this? Somebody's in trouble, I know this now, what am I going to do? So a decision has to be taken, something has to be done. And um, that's the dynamism of authenticity. Now, of course, there are resistances in people too. All at all those stages, they might want to be shutting out the data. They don't want to hear it. They're reading their book. They won't be disturbed. Uh, there may be questions that are arising, but they say, "I'm not going to get to look into those questions now that are coming up for me about that cry I've heard." They might say, "Well, gosh, yeah, I've discovered somebody's in trouble, but hell, I'm not going to get involved here." You know, so there are resistances too in us. So the dynamism of authenticity doesn't work on in, in an automatic fashion. It also has to deal forces and factors that may be inhibiting it, stifling it, stunting it and all that. And so there's a need really then for forming people in a way that makes them as committed as they can be to authenticity, which will enable them to transcend the resistances that can arise so that they kind of keep self-transcending into what authenticity is requiring of them. And when you apply that then to spiritual experience, that's that's an experience of somebody sitting in the park. I think a lot of people could identify with those kind of Mm. stages. Um, when you apply that then to spirituality, you're saying that's the same dynamic process mm, that's mm. there. And I think dynamic is an important word because there is, is something that we all yeah. experience of it's not neutral. We're not just sitting back exactly. and observing this. There's something propelling us exactly. to action. Yeah. No, this uh, process shows us that we are inherently receptive. We can hear the crime take it in. We are inherently relational because, you know, there's a connection with what's outside us then uh, taking place. And we are inherently reflective because we start thinking about it. We are inherently responsible in the sense that, uh, you know, there's a call to action if we see that that's what's required of us. Uh, so there are these different kind of inherent norms at work in us as well or on these on these different levels and stages. Um, and this is the, this is the human spirit in action. So that when you're studying spirituality, you're studying the human spirit of knowing and choosing. And this is the way it's constituted. And if you're faithful to it, this is the way it will form you as a person. And really what we're talking about is the formation of a person into having the kind of self-presence where authenticity will guide and direct their lives in, in every 
every situation, in relationships, in institutions, in religious traditions, whatever it would be, they're always there as somebody with this kind of human spirit. And the more they're aware of this human spirit being this way, and the more they're formed into letting it be the way it can be, the higher the quality of living that will take place in people, from people. And I think you make an interesting point uh, in the paper where you were saying that the result, that often subjectivity, even in the spiritual realm, can result in, I go to certain stages, I have my own spiritual life, it's my own private business, and it doesn't really lead to any further stages. It's self-enclosed in my own world with my relationship with God or whatever the spirit, I higher power or whatever that I'm in relationship with. And you're critical of that because you're saying that that lacks a stage of authenticity. Yeah, there is this dy- the dynamism of authenticity of the human spirit, as we've been saying there, does push on to a stage of looking to make decisions consistent with what you've come to know. And that makes you then be somebody who won't just sit back and be content to leave things as they are. If you've come to know something is not not satisfactory, not right, not good, uh, the, the dynamism and authenticity of your human spirit will be kind of pushing you to sort of not stop there, but to push on and say, what is being asked of me now as a human being in the light of my knowledge in the situation that I find myself in and have come to know? And this is being a spiritual person. When you are like that in the world, you're being spiritual because what's really calling you is beauty, truth, goodness and love. These are the realities that are calling your spirit forth. And if you allow your spirit to take its course in relation to those realities that are coming to you, as, as you might say, as calls really to you, um, then you will become be becoming a person committed to beauty, truth, goodness and love for your own life and for the lives of your world, the lives of people in your world. So it requires then that people do need to be introspective, like they need to look at what's going on for them when these things are happening. Yeah. And in doing that, that dynamism, if they become aware of that, it becomes it doesn't do violence to the person it's the opposite it becomes the natural yes. outcome yes. i therefore will do this and yes. it, it'll depend how you go into the ballot box what you yes. how you vote how you yes, treat other human beings and so on yes yeah uh, that that's the case and uh, it's not all now just at the level of being human because um you know, you do find perhaps they will open you up to the grace of God if that's what you believe is the case, that God is at work in the world. Uh, you will ultimately find yourself asking questions like, what does this call to be a good person and to do what's good and loving and to seek the truth and all that? And what does all that really mean? Why am I like this? Why am I constituted with this capacity? Um and so you can be pushed on to things like, you know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And then you say, is this what it means that I'm like this because I'm being called really to recognize that Jesus is the beauty, the truth, the goodness and the love that I'm seeking in life for myself and for other people. Uh, and then you might have recourse to Christian revelation, to study the life of Jesus, to pray the life of Jesus Uh, and so on, and in that way be formed in the Christian way of seeing things and doing things. So there is a kind of, if you like, there can be a very good connection between the way we are in our humanity and the way we enter into a faith tradition. They're not at odds with each other. They need need not certainly be at odds with each other. 
And vice versa, then, you could study spirituality and not say, I have a particular faith or a particular religion. Would that be right? Yes, yes, that could be too. I mean, people will differ in where they think the um, orientation to beauty, truth, goodness and love through the dynamism of authenticity at work and their subjectivity is taking them. For some, it will become something maybe very explicit to do with a religious tradition. For others, it may not go that way. But the most important thing, I'm reminded here of the Pope, President Pope Francis, that when he was out with his his grandmother and he was only a small little boy and uh, they met two people in the street in Argentina and he said to her are they sisters I think he said said to her are they nuns and she said no they're Salvation Army people but she says they're good and in Argentina at the time, a very Catholic country, well, this was an era when kind of Protestants were looked down on and all that. But his grandmother was saying the most important thing is is that people are good, and good people is what we focus. People's goodness is what we focus on. So I think the most important thing is is as long as people are committed to the truth, to goodness, to beauty, to love, in their lives. Um, that's the most important thing and for some people obviously then it will go into a particular religious tradition and for some people that can make all the difference but for others it may not But it's interesting because I I think it gives in this day and age when we have you know the rise of secularism and we have you know separation of church and state it does give I think a your analysis, your methodology, what you're doing is providing a platform where a lot of different people could meet and share a vision that maybe transcends the divisions that we have in religious affiliation mm. of, of a strict kind. I mean, e- even artists who are trying to follow the beautiful, right. you know, yes. would be could be part of that. Exactly. Yes, I think that there is a great commonality at the level of our humanity. And it's to come into that space in ourselves that we share with everyone else, which has to do with the dynamism, to be an authentic human being in my life, in one's own lifetime. Uh, if we can meet each other in that space, which we all share, I believe, in virtue of being human, uh, then I think we can understand much better the differences that can arise. And we can see there's an intelligibility, perhaps, to the differences that can arise so that we don't experience them as threatening, but as understandable. Uh, and of course, too, this it is true, there can be differences between people that are, that are more oppositional than that. And there are times when you have to oppose differences in people. It doesn't mean that you sort of have a kind of a, a naive trust and openness in every difference that's there to every difference that's there. Um, but you do start from a position of kind of respecting people, seeking to understand them. Uh, and then you see where that goes. And then if at a certain point you find that the differences are too great, and that even one might be opposed to another, you then have to look at that. And take authentic action as you see fit. Yeah. Yes, absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, at Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he joined the bomb plot. He was a very distinguished Lutheran theologian, um, very, you know, a caring person. But he came to the conclusion that it was the ethical thing to do to join the bomb plot to kill Hitler. And his view was, well, look, you know, OK, we're going to have to kill somebody here. But look at all the thousands of people's lives that we can save. And for him, that seemed to be the only way to stop Hitler. And if we did, if he didn't stop him, it would have been irresponsible. He would be saying, you can keep on going and murdering people and invading countries and all the rest of it. So that for him, his orientation to authenticity, as he understood it anyway, was calling him to say, you know, it will be more ethical here to have this man killed for all the good that can come from it. That's a terribly difficult decision mm. and none of us would want to be there. And there are some Christians who would say from womb to tomb, 
no. human life must never yeah. be taken mm. and that includes the death penalty or yes. even war that you can't kill in war but at least they're following some kind of calling and authenticity for the good and the, the truth they, they are um, but you know I think there is a validity to self-defence violence uh, I'm reminded of this, this when I was in El Salvador years ago meeting Mabel I can mention her name and she was on a youth retreat in 1979 uh, with about 100 young people and the military came in to San Antonio Abad Parish that night, drove through the gates in tanks, uh, jumped out. The priest came out in front of the parish priests and they just drove on over him and killed him. And then they jumped out and started shooting. And uh, some, some of the young people were, were killed that night. And others then after that said, you know, we have to go into the hills now because they'll be after us and we can't just allow ourselves to be shot. We have to defend ourselves and go into the hills and become guerrillas even, unfortunately. But Mabel went into exile in Mexico, but she couldn't stay there. She felt she had to go back and be with her people. And so when she came back, she was picked up by the military one night. The gang raped her. She got pregnant. And when I met her, she had a 10-year-old daughter whom she couldn't accept because of the circumstances in which she was con- the child was conceived. And the t- daughter would be asking, Mammy, who's my father? Where is he? I've never seen him. and We never talk about him. And uh, she was living with all this. So self-defence, you know, what do you do? You don't just stand by and let yourself be raped or stand by and let yourself be killed. Uh, You are entitled to defend yourself. And I think there can be a justifiable self-defence violence, uh, however difficult it is to carry it out. Nobody wants to be in that situation, but I don't actually think that absolute non-violence is always the ethical position to take. And finally, just to, to to come full circle on what you've said, there is something that does bring you back to absolute authenticity there, which is the primacy of conscience. Having gone through the stages mm. you've identified about experiencing, understanding, judging, judging deciding, deciding yes, that ultimately at the core of that is the individual authentically appropriating their own humanity. Exactly, yeah. That's it. How to be self-present to yourself in such a way that you can be living in that space in yourself where the dynamism for authenticity is evident to you and where you can try and be faithful to it and allow it to kind of direct you and guide you in that. And you seek, in all honesty, to accompany that uh, in yourself uh, in where, where in wherever it will take you. But and it, it means looking at all the evidence that you need to be aware of, around, allowing all the relevant questions to come up, going to other people to see too what they can say to you that you might need to know, going even to other countries. I went to Latin America. You go to, to, to you, it can draw you out into other countries even with your life. But behind it all, there is this dynamism, there is this desire and this commitment to be an authentic human being. And it can take you in in all those kinds of ways. And uh, we all, I think, have this in us. We all share it in virtue of being human. And the important thing, I think, is to try and bring people into this space in themselves where they can live from there and not from things like fear and envy and resentment and all these other things we have to try and allow people to let the dynamism of authenticity prevail in the face of such factors. 